Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Warning Track Power Podcast, the Tuesday edition, um, where your guy, your baseball guys, Jake and Chris, talk about all things MLB and baseball. And Chris, this is uh, our first Tuesday podcast. I was traveling. You're going to be traveling soon. Um, and we're just, uh, we're here to squeeze one in, update everybody on everything that's been going on. There was a lot that has happened over the past like seven or eight days. And uh, yeah, so we're going to squeeze this in before you hit the road back to Indianapolis. And uh, what's uh, what's kind of on your mind this week? There's been a lot that's happened. So what's kind of at the, the forefront of your mind as we start? Yeah, the last well, week plus now has just been headline after headline. Like I feel like the first couple weeks of that we were we've been recording this show, there were always news items, but it was always like, okay, there's two or three big stories, and that's pretty much it for the week. And this week we've got you know, MLB officially starting to crack down on the substances, and so there's incidents, there's Manfred comments, there's ejections, suspensions, there's that. You have yeah. All Star uh, All Star Game getting closer, so that's on my mind too because there's. Um, you know, and everything associated with that, right? We're getting more information about who's going to be in the home run derby, which is exciting. Mm. Um, more sort of hype around, you know, what the all-star game is going to look like and some of it's good and some of it's bad. <laughs> and <laughs> we've got some like, you know, a mixture of like, you know, devastating injuries, which is obviously not a good, you know, not a good thing at all, but you've also got these like historic performances from the last week. We've got like a yeah. lot and, and, you know, the debut of baseball's number one prospect. Oh yeah. I'll throw yes. that in too. So uh, <laughs> We've just got like, I just gave, you know, the brief synopsis of everything we're going to talk about here at the top. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a lot. It is definitely a lot. And I think we'll start with uh, something you mentioned and something we've been talking about just about every week here on the show. Um, the sticky substance crackdown has officially begun. Um, and last week, well, at this point last week, but I believe it was last Monday or Tuesday, um, it began with the madness of Max Scherzer and Joe Girardi. And that was, if, you, if you're Joe Girardi and you, you want to pick on a pitcher, I don't know why on earth you would, you would decide to mess with Max Scherzer in the middle of, of a dominating outing because that feels like you're just asking to get beat up. <laughs> very true i mean this he's the guy you just one of those guys in baseball who you just know you don't want to mess with you know just based on what we've seen from him in the past mm-hmm. you know it's it's interesting I, i've you know really kind of been thinking this last couple of days about this whole situation and it's sort of been I, I'm, I'm conflicted almost even in my own thinking about it because like on the one hand you know like you said baseball basically just over a week ago they fas- officially began cracking down on checking pitchers, umpires checking pitchers, starting pitchers multiple times per game. And mm-hmm. on the one hand, there's the, you know, craziness of the couple of incidents that happened the first couple of days. Like, like you said, the whole situation where um, Max Scherzer was being checked normally by the umpires, you know, after innings and stuff. And he w- apparently wasn't, you know, he probably wasn't happy about it, but he wasn't, you know, throwing any sort of fit or anything about that. But it wasn't until right. then, you know, after he'd been checked multiple times, you know, Joe Girardi requests he gets checked again. And 
And then, you know, Scherzer isn't happy. He's throwing a little fit on the mound. And then afterwards, he stares Girardi down, walking off the mound. And then Girardi starts acting like a child running out onto the field, egging him on, like, come get me. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, there's just, there's, there's that. And then it was like the same night that Sergio Romo, uh, now with the A's, was like upset about it. And so he starts pulling down his pants. Like, it was just like <laughs> craziness. He later apologized for that. So that was sort of like, I think that was like maybe day two or one or two of that policy, you know? So it was like, right. oh gosh, this is going to be a circus. And then yeah. Rob Manford comes out and says, oh, the first two days have gone very well. He tells the athletic that. And everybody's <laughs> like, what are you talking about, Rob? Yeah. So on the one hand, it's just, it's, there's been some absurdity about, you know, the situation. Yeah. On the other hand, we're at the point now, and I, I saw somebody crunching the numbers on this, but there've been like a thousand pitcher checks yeah. over the past week plus at this point. And those, we were only talking about like two or three, or you can count on one hand, the number of like actual newsworthy incidents that there have been out of like a thousand, you know, plus checks at this point. So like mm -hmm. on the one hand, it hasn't been all that chaotic. On the other hand, the chaos that there has been has been pretty <laughs> disruptive and everybody has their eyes on like, what's going to happen? Who's going to throw a temper tantrum tonight? Yeah, no, I think you're, you're spot on. And for, for how many there have been, I think it, it's gone pretty smooth. Obviously those you know, everybody's looking for the problems. And when there are mm -hmm. problems, everybody's going to be kind of looking at them under a microscope. So they, they definitely stand out um, more than um, they probably would otherwise, if it, if this was kind of just routine and it wasn't new. Um, mm -hmm. So I think Manfred's comments kind of are looking at it from, you know, the big picture and not spotlighting, you know, the, the Romo incident and the Scherzer incident and everything like that. Um, I did see, I believe it was last night. There were two position players that ended up pitching. One was in the, the Phillies game, I believe, and one was in the Cubs game. And there were two, uh, both of those position players were checked for foreign yeah. substances. Yeah, they so. had, yeah, the umpires have to follow through no matter who's on the mound. I yeah, guess. you want to talk about absurdity. That's, uh, that's a little, another little dose. And then um, it happened in the White Sox game where Hector Santiago um, – was checked for foreign substances and uh, was ejected. He was the first one, the first pitcher to get ejected for a foreign substance um, since this crackdown begun. And it just came out earlier today, actually, that he has been suspended 10 games, which he is, of course, appealing. So uh, he will not begin to serve that until that appeal is um, resolved. And uh, I didn't see it happen, but I can only imagine that it was... Um, quite a sight to to see it actually happen for the first time yeah yeah he's the you know the, the first time it's the only time to this point that we've had anybody ejected and like you said he's appealing he's insisting his manager's insisting that it was just a combination of rosin and sweat which of course uh, those things are both i mean that there's nothing wrong with that if that's true right. then he shouldn't be suspended and so then the, the his glove i think it was his glove right it ends yep. up getting put in a, like a trash bag and like sent to the commissioner's office and then yeah. he gets the suspension but then apparently it's being reported that like he isn't like they weren't waiting for like test results to give him the suspension they were just the fact that he was um kicked out of the game on the field by the umpires means he gets the suspension it what they weren't like waiting to find like waiting to yeah. analyze which is what everybody kind of assumed oh we'll yeah. wait till they analyze what that is and apparently 
they don't wait. It's just the umpires decided he need to be ejected from the game. And so basically it's more or less automatic that he gets the suspension. So it's going to be kind of weird because I mean, there's still of course a chance that what he's saying is true. I mean, we just don't know. We did. There's not yeah. like great footage of it for people to like analyze and say like, I mean, I'm sure there was footage of him getting ejected, of course, but right. like, there's not, I'm not like seeing pictures on social media of people, you know, like close up of his glove being like, oh, what is this? What is that? So sure. it's hard to know exactly. And it's a little bit weird because normally when a player uh, appeals a suspension, like there's a, a way of like a format in place where there'll be an independent group arbiter that like decides whether, you know, that, that factors into the suspension, like this over upholding or like overturning the suspension but in this case with this new policy apparently if the decision is made by somebody else who's employed by major league baseball there's like another office and so in the end it's technically mlb saying you know whether or not he can i don't i don't know do they look i assume they're going to look at the you know composition of what was on his glove it was taken back to the league office so uh (laughs) we'll, we'll see about that um so yeah, it, I think it's going to be interesting to see what precedent that sets, uh, especially because one of the quirks of this new policy or new enforcement is that the Mariners, if he is suspended, if the suspension is upheld, won't be able to replace him on their roster. Yeah, they they you know they, they basically have to play a man short, which you know not the end of the world, but like that is still significant, especially if it's a starter or maybe some team has two or three players who happen to have that pop up of course that would be really significant because they don't have they can't have you know it can't replace those guys um, right in the meantime so it's going to be interesting um you know i just have one other overall quick thought on on sort of this situation because i've Mm -hmm. been you know paying attention to it and you know we talked about earlier when they first announced that this was coming that it's hard to know how much this was going to impact pitchers and spin rates and all that kind of thing and we're seeing a couple like a week into the official um enforcement of it spin rates are way down league-wide yes and there's like no denying a connection i saw an article and a graph that was put together showing spin rates from the past few seasons and how they were like going up year after year and then the drop off just like drastic drop off midway through this season Mm -hmm. and you've got some pitchers who were you know guys who've been mentioned in terms of increases in spin rates in recent years Garrett Cole out there with a 4.65 ERA in June Trevor Bauer hasn't been very good in June he's been okay so so in June and clearly there are pitchers who aren't happy about a lot of pitchers aren't happy about the situation but I will just say this and this isn't a point that I made before you know as a group pitchers I understand their frustration but as a group pitchers push the envelope too far like over the course of these past few years, um, bent the rules, you know, too far, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the idea of, and unfortunately that leads to consequences for everybody, whether or not you were one of the people who bent the rules too far, or you just kind of stayed with the normal slight bending of the rules of I'll just Mm -hmm. use sunscreen. But as a group, pitchers took it too far and now they have to pay the consequences. I heard the analogy used of, you know, somebody might have a, a job and they get a company credit card and they go on trips and maybe you can kind of bend the rules and get an extra piece of cake and a fancy drink. But if all of a sudden you start charging for flat screen TVs and yeah. all these other things, you know, you push the envelope too far, your company's going to come back at you and say, yeah, we might not tell you to scale it back. We may just take the card away because you abused it. You could have, yeah. you could have, you know, 
gotten a little extra out of it, but you took it too far. And now we have to take the card away from you. So anyway, end of my, end of my ramble. I just think that, (laughs) you know, it it makes me, it's hard for me to feel bad for umpires, but I kind of do feel a little bit bad for them in some of these situations we've seen. Yeah, no, I I'm with you. And that's a good analogy. It's an interesting one, (laughs) but it makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, it's going to be uh, very interesting to see if there are more uh, incidents in the same vein uh, that, mm-hmm. that we've seen over the past week plus, or you know if there's more suspensions to come and ejections and stuff like that. But just something to keep an eye on, and as well as the spin rate thing, um, we've been watching that as well. Um, but we have some some big uh, news having to do with the all-star break both events uh the home run derby and the all-star game itself uh have had news announced over the past week and chris the first one has to do with the uniforms that the players are going to be wearing and it's not the traditional uh everybody wears their team's uniform yeah this was um one of those times when you see the entire baseball sort of community on social media come together in unison about something, which is pretty rare. And that thing they came together on was hatred of the all-star uniforms because they were, the the jerseys were announced. They got pretty much universally slammed because like you said, instead of teams being able to wear their teams, instead of players being able to wear their team's uniforms, which kind of makes the event cool. You know, you see all those jerseys on the same uh, field at the same time, the league unveiled um, a uniform design with some sort of t- small team logo and weird vertical letters thing happening. And yeah. you got to look it up. It, I mean, you know, it's just not great. Like I don't like hate it. Like it's the worst thing in the world, but it's just not great. It's unnecessary. And it adds a level of like bland sameness to all the players and their looks out there. Like why you didn't need to mess it. One of those times when the system that was in place was just fine and you didn't need to mess with it. That said, you know, it's all-star game jerseys. It doesn't matter that much, but it's just like, you didn't need to mess with that MLB. Yeah, and I I agree. And I think one of the coolest parts of the all-star game was seeing all the different, you know, all the different players wearing their team's jerseys. So it was like, you know, everybody's wearing their individual team jerseys and coming together at the end of the game and whatever league wins, you see the handshake line of all these, you know, all these different, teams and you know they're kind of they're part of one team for that for that one game once a year and now adding this just kind of takes that aspect away a bit of everybody uh coming together and playing on one team for uh one night um one thing in the same vein of kind of a new jersey design i don't know if you saw this chris but the giants nike city connect jerseys yikes Oh, I did not. I have not seen this yet. Um, you, you, it's a white jersey with a uh, with a orange G that gradients down to a white, uh, and it's got I think the Golden Gate Bridge on on the sleeves, and that is it. It is just the G oh, on the front. That is that's not good at all. <laughs> that's very bad. What am I looking so, at? That's that's not good. Yeah. So anyway, kind of a tangent, but in the same vein as. Um, new poor new uniform designs uh, that people have pretty much unanimously disliked um one thing i do like uh about the all-star game jerseys though is the hats i think the hats are pretty cool yeah um, yeah with the uh the purple and the mountains and kind of incorporating the rockies colors 
um, as they are the hosts this year. Um, so, you know, just a little uh, more of a, uh, a superficial um, news item, just, you know, kind of messing with baseball tradition in a, in, in a small way, but enough to where people uh, don't like it because they don't like the design. But um, right. some positive, a little bit of mostly positive, some negative news. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. has declined uh, to appear in the home run derby. Um, and the same day he declined, he homered three times that day. Um, so did not make a very good case, uh, for that. However, he did say he's dealing with an nagging shoulder injury, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, he missed some time earlier in the season with it. And, uh, the home run derby is definitely not the place, uh, you want to go if you're, if you're, uh, dealing with some pain in your shoulder and want to help your team, uh, after the all-star break head toward the playoffs. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's funny because I, you know, I will give him credit. You know, he didn't give us the fans, you know, everybody will of course want to see him in the home run derby, but he gave us the next best thing, which is his own home run derby, his personal home <laughs> run derby. He said, I can't do it. My health and everybody understands, you know, his shoulder injury. Sure. Um, it's crazy to consider what he's been doing this season has been with sort of a shoulder injury that he's kind of continued to play with. Um, but he just said, okay, well, you know, I can't do that. I'll go ahead and put on my own little mini home run derby. So he saw him hit three home runs in the game because you know mm -hmm. why not <laughs> and that was absolutely fun to watch and you know i'm sure at some point down the line when he's when he's fully healthy he will uh make an appearance at least once in the home run derby and that would be an awesome show to see um but we have three more names for the home run derby um one in the american league and two in the national league the mm -hmm. first uh the american league player joining shohei otani is Trey Mancini, which I think is um, an awesome uh, kind of storyline with his cancer diagnosis last season. Um, and now that he's in remission and having a fantastic season for the Orioles, um, having him in the home run derby, I think is uh, kind of a, could be a culmination of things for him, kind of the the triumphant, you know, return to not only his team, but kind of then getting a, a place on the national stage um, to hit some home runs in Coors Field. I think that's going to be really cool for him and really cool for all the fans to see. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, he looks like the, he, could, he should be the comeback player of the year in the American League at this point. Um, obviously, the season's, you know, not yet halfway over, but um, despite the fact that he's been struggling a little bit recently, he's still got 14 home runs on the season. Uh, through Sunday, he was tied for eighth in the American League with 52 RBI. Um, mm. He's been having a great year, even though some of the overall numbers now don't look spectacular. Um, yeah. You know, really showing that, you know, because he had had this breakout year. And then right after that is, is, was last season when he was had the cancer diagnosis and everything. Yeah. So to see him back on the field, healthy, performing, a big part of that team um it's really cool to see for no doubt about that yeah absolutely and chris one of your one of your uh players from your wish list last week yep. uh it was also announced and that is who is that it's pete alonzo the reigning champion of the home run derby of course there wasn't one last year so mm -hmm. uh the reigning champion is 2019's champion pete alonzo of the mets who beat out uh, vladimir guerrero jr uh, two years ago. Um, so, you know, I think it's just fun to have the reigning champ back to see, can he, you know, can he, you know, just in any situation, basically, oh, yeah. can he 
um, you know, can he defend his title? And uh, so that's going to be fun. And then the other one that we, we heard about, you know, you mentioned we, we have two in the NL and we know that Trevor's story is going to be in the home run derby as well. It's not been a spectacular year for him by any stretch, but the hometown connection is what makes that, um, not the, the home team connection is what makes that, you know, make sense on, I mean, on so many levels. And of course he's very talented despite some of the, you know, relative struggles he's had this season. Um, you know, he's the, they're playing the, the home run derby, the all-star game at Coors Field. So having mm-hmm. story in the derby is going to be special. And, you know, I have no doubt that he could potentially put on a show. Yeah. And he was, he was a name that I, uh, he wasn't on my, at my list, but he was a name that I, you know, considered and was kind of like, yeah, if they're kind of going for, you know, the hometown connection from player from a team that's hosting the derby as they uh very often do i mean trevor story's pretty much the only player on the rockies that i could uh see uh, making a lot of sense cj crone might be one but he doesn't really have that kind of name recognition but i think story is uh, a really good pick um like you said struggling a little bit this year batting average down at 255 um, which isn't horrible. It's also not great as he normally hits around 290. Um, power numbers down a little bit too, just nine home runs um, and about 280 plate appearances. But he definitely has that that power to uh, drive balls out of the out of the park. And uh, at Coors Field, he's going to have an entire crowd behind him rooting for him um, the whole way. So three new names uh, in the home run derby and four more to go. So. We'll keep you updated on uh, any new announcements that come out over the next week or so. And now, Chris, we're going to talk about a uh, an amazing pitching feat, and it's not Jacob Degrom. Yeah, that that is the that's the uh, that might be the most amazing part of it is we had an amazing <laughs> pitching feat, and it wasn't Jacob Degrom. Uh, it was uh, Aaron Nola of the Phillies, another one of the top you know five pitchers in the National League. Sure. Um, and, you know, Nola, you know, has been one of, it's not been a, a great, great season for him, or it hadn't been up to this point that I'm about to talk about, but he'd still been a pretty steady, you know, ace kind of level starter for the Phillies and upright spot in what's been another rough season to date for the Phillies. And yep. uh, he went out there against the Mets uh, a few days ago and tied Tom Seaver's 51-year-old MLB record with 10 consecutive strikeouts uh, against, again, like I said, the Mets, who, of course, is the team that Tom Seaver spent the majority of his career with. Um, Nola became the only pitcher in MLB history besides Seaver to strike out 10 straight batters, um, and only 10 pitchers have ever reached nine straight bat, uh, nine straight strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not a whole bunch of, you know, additional context to say for, for this. Nola's numbers look better now, but he's still not like a Cy Young contender, but, you know, still a very good pitcher. Um, my only other thing I'll say on this is that, unfortunately for the Phillies, um, you know, Nola and his performances, if he keeps something like this up, you know, keeps up great performance, he still can't carry them on his own. Um, it's sort of sad at some point, the Phillies, a bullpen is horrendous again. Their defense is bad again. Bryce Harper is in, has been playing injured again. Uh, it's been 10 seasons since they had a winning record. I don't know if that's going to change They're uh, entered today, five games back of the Mets and fourth in the NL East. And 
as of today, or you know, this stat is current, they have blown seven saves in their last six games. Yeah, it's, not, uh, it's not ugly. good. <laughs> yeah, not to take a, a fun stat, a fun fact, and turn it into something less fun, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Nola can't do it all on his own. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, you know, you kind of think of of pitchers that you know they're stars on their team and they don't get a lot of support. Your mind immediately goes to Jacob Degrom. Um, obviously his, his Cy Young season 2019, I believe, um, mm-hmm. won the Cy Young with a 10 and nine record. So, you know, not a lot of run support, but still obviously a top pitcher in baseball, Aaron Nola, same thing. Um, his, his FIP is, uh, 3.43. His ERA is just below four at 3.97 and a five and four record. You would think it'd be a little better than that. Um, but obviously, this this feat of ten straight uh, batters uh, striking out ten straight batters uh, in a row is is pretty incredible, and you know he'll he'll be in the record books forever, um, along with Tom Seaver. And I don't know if we're ever going to see anybody strike out eleven in a row. So anytime you can see a piece of history, even if it's not setting a new record and just tying one, uh, it's pretty fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh... You know, it makes me think one of these days, maybe somebody could do it. I, I don't know. It's a good point. It's one of those things where the record could stand for a very long time, or you never know. Somebody like Jacob deGrom could go out there and break it tomorrow. Yeah, wouldn't be surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so our next uh, little headline here to discuss is something that uh, has really come on in the last week or so, and that is the Kyle Schwarber of the Nationals now, just on a complete tear at the plate like that's putting it lightly last Mm -hmm. night he became just the third player in mlb history to hit 15 home runs in a 17 game stretch joining barry bonds and sammy sosa in terms of that's in terms of a 17 game stretch in terms of a 17 day stretch he's the only player ever in mlb history to homer 15 times in 17 days at any point Mm -hmm. in any season ever it's remarkable he's hit more home runs out of the leadoff spot in a calendar month than any player in MLB history Um, you know this is a guy who had a career best year in 2019 and then was just horrible in 2020 he hit was the worst batting average of any qualified player in the National League Mm -hmm. and then the Cubs non-tendered him and then the Nationals got him for one year seven million which now looks like a bargain because he's fourth in baseball (laughs) with 24 home runs after yeah having a pretty bad April and he's trailing only Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Shohei Otani and Fernando Tatis and home runs mm-hmm. this season. It's really been crazy to watch. It has been crazy to watch. And I'm looking at his game logs right now on June 11th, his OPS was at 716, which is okay. It's not great. Yeah. It's not horrible for a guy like him who, Hits for a lot of power. You'd like to see it a little bit higher. His slugging percentage was at 404. Again, not great, not horrible. Today, after the games finished uh, yesterday, his OPS is at 906. It has jumped almost 200 points. His slugging percentage is now 569. And I mean, I don't, at this point, I don't know why anybody is throwing him anything in the strike zone. He's homered along with 15 times in his last 17 games, 11 times in his last nine games. 
so it he's picking up the pace yeah somehow it's getting better like i you know i had prepared like i had started thinking about talking about him like three or four days ago and i had to stay you know i pulled the stats and then he's just you know i've had to like hit delete on that part of the document like three times because he's gone out there and homered again and set these additional records (laughs) yeah i mean just he had a, a a five game stretch i believe he had uh eight home runs over five games between uh june 19th and june 24th um he beat up on the phillies he beat up on the mets he's beat up on the marlins and now uh they're back uh hosting the mets again so um kyle schwarber on an absolute tear definitely going to be making uh, a case uh for a spot on the all-star team uh for the national league and um and like you said, Chris, just looking like an absolute bargain, one of the best signings of the offseason at this point um, yeah. for the Nationals at one year, $7 million. Not, not a lot of, not very often you get that kind of production out of a player you give uh, that kind of a deal. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it looked like, you know, it kind of seemed like you, like you mentioned, like I mentioned, um, got off to a slow start to the year. So it seemed like, okay, you know, you combine that with last year's struggles and like, maybe he's just falling off the map. And then instead it's like, okay, no, no, never mind. If you thought that you were mistaken because yeah. he's uh, come roaring back. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are a couple of players who went, the notable players who went down with injury this past week um, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, it's really tough to see, but, you know, both really, you know, rough situations. Uh, the first is Mike Soroka, who burst onto the scene in 2019 for the Braves. He's a starter for them. And in 2019, he was 13 and four with a 268 ERA and almost 200 innings. And then uh, early in last year's shortened season, he tore his Achilles. And yep. there was some hope that he might be back pretty early in the 2021 season, but he then had some setbacks. He then needed exploratory surgery. And then he got through that and he was walking to the clubhouse at the ballpark in Atlanta and he felt a pop and now he has retorn his Achilles. Mm. He's having surgery to, to repair it again. And the success rate for like fully healing from a second Achilles tear is not very great. So uh, hopefully he is able to fully recover, but that just really sucks. Like a guy who had just broke onto the scene was having a great year or had a great year, Mm-hmm. goes through that, goes through a lengthy rehab, injures it again. And now, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So that's, that's rough to see. Yeah. I hundred percent. I mean, you just feel for the guy because I'm looking at uh, this ESPN article um, and Braves manager, Brian Snip, uh, Brian Snicker said it was, it was Soroka's first day out of his boot, his walking boot. Oh, and he right. was walking to the clubhouse, like you said, and just, felt a pop and it'll be his third uh achilles surgery Mm -hmm. um so whether he comes back or not um it's it's really up in the air um and you you just feel really really bad for the guy it's uh not anything anybody wants to deal with especially when you're when you had that breakout season and you know you're you're trying to build your name up and you know, make a case for a big, bigger contract other than, you know, your rookie, your rookie deal that you were on. He pitched to a 268 ERA in 2019. He was an all-star. He finished sixth 
and Cy Young voting second in rookie of the year voting. Um, and just one of those guys, you know, you have those guys that are great, but they just can't stay healthy. And um, hopefully that's not the case for Soroka, but it, it's trending that way for him. Um, and then the second, the second major injury that we had is um, Josh Naylor for the Cleveland Indians. Um, he fractured his leg in the game against the Twins, I believe on Sunday. Um, he collided with uh, outfielder Ernie Clement and uh, going out for a fly ball. Uh, the collision is not what hurt him, uh, what caused the injury at least, but he uh, flew up in the air after colliding with Clement and landed and came down on his ankle. Um, which resulted in a fractured and dislocated ankle. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it was a gruesome injury to watch. I mean, it, if you pay any attention to the NFL last season, it looked very similar to the, the injury that Dak Prescott uh, suffered. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was a scary uh, sight. Paramedics were on the field rather than just the trainers for the Indians and the twins. Um, and he had to be uh, taken off the field. Um, and it was just a, a scary sight to see. And it, it's never anything that you want to see, especially for a guy uh, in Naylor who um, he also kind of had his, his breakout in, in 2020. Um, I guess Soroka's was in 2019, but Naylor's was um, a little bit in, in 2020, um, was traded to the Indians um, and had, had an okay season, um, but he was, he, it definitely put him on the map and he was, uh, kind of improving on those numbers this season, 253, seven homers, 21 RBIs. Um, so definitely a role player for Cleveland and a guy that they're going to miss, uh, uh, very much, uh, as he recovers from this injury. Yeah, that's just, it's just rough. I mean, that's one of those ones that's just, it's rough to watch. Like you said, I don't really have a whole bunch to add. It's just, you feel for somebody in that situation because there's just, I mean, you know, there's nothing that he did to deserve that. I mean, nobody deserves that. That's mm -hmm. just a rough spot. And you have an injury like that where, um, you know, I, I think he's, I mean, he's out indefinitely. I think he's not playing probably this year. I mean, right. you know, that's just like, that's the kind of thing that takes so long to recover from that it could really impact, you know, his long-term future, um, yeah. not long-term like decades, long-term like his baseball career in the next year plus. Uh, so that that just really sucks, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely thinking about Josh Naylor and Mike Soroka and their their injury rehabs and recoveries. Um, and hopefully we'll see both of them back on the field next season. Um, but we'll end this kind of beginning news segment with some uh, more positive news. Wander Franco, we talked about it last week. Wander Franco has made his major league debut. And uh, first game we played in, great performance, a couple of extra base hits, a game time, three run homer. Um, since then, however, he uh, has not played very well. He is just one for 18 over his next uh, five games. And you know, kind of having, having that, you know, that rookie struggle that a lot of guys do, it's very rare that you see 
I don't care, you know, the, the, the caliber of player that you are. It's very rare to see anybody just come into the major leagues from the minors and just absolutely mash. And Wander Franco is no exception. Number one prospect or not. Um, he's had one hit since that debut. Um, he has worked uh, a few walks. He's got five walks over his seven games. So he's kind of showing a little bit of command of the strike zone um, and getting on base um, at just under a 30% clip um, through his six games so far. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of how it is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be uh, a very, very good player this season at some point once he kind of gets his, his legs under him and, under, adjust to the adjust to the speed of of the uh, of the game at this level. Um, you know, it, it, it's never fun to see somebody struggle, especially when they've been so hyped and so highly touted for so long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's it's easy to forget how hard the transition from the minors to the majors can be because we've had some guys within the last, you know, four or five years who've sort of just right out of the gate have been just huge impact players. Mm -hmm. um, but it, that, you know, that doesn't mean that's the case, you know, that's not the norm. Like, and we shouldn't treat that as the norm or the expectation for anybody, yeah. you know, how, no matter how good of a prospect they are. I mean, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like he's realizing all of that potential that we knew he had this season, but this isn't his first season in the majors. He had a couple of years where he was okay, but not great. And that's a guy who was a, you know, another number one kind of, you know, number one level prospect. And so, you know, it's not a surprise that, that Franco would be uh, having some struggles. Um, you know, this is a guy who though was hitting, you know, 315 at, at triple uh, a this season and 39 games. So obviously, you know, the ability is 100% there. Um, but you know, it might take some time. And I think something to consider is just, you know, with all these prospects this season that we see come up is they, they just didn't play at all last season yeah. because right. there were no minor league seasons. So we're talking about guys who played, you know, 30, 40, 50 games in the minors this year, getting the call and who, you know, didn't play at all the previous season. So that could have an impact as well. Um, but the Rays are, you know, sticking with them. It's only been a handful of games still. And he's still batting third or second every game that he's played. So hopefully yeah. he can really get things going soon because uh, no doubt the ability is there. Yeah, he's getting the at-bats and he's getting a chance uh, to show what he can do. And defensively, he's been very solid as well. Mm -hmm. In that first game, he made uh, a pretty amazing uh, defensive play at third base. So um, definitely watch uh, Wander Franco if you have the chance. And uh, he'll definitely, he'll, he'll round into form as uh, he kind of gets more than, you know, just six games under his belt at the big league level. So um, keep an eye on Wander Franco. He'll be, he'll be just fine, I think. Um, but that is all the news we have. I'm sure we missed some stuff, but uh, that is, those are the, the biggest headlines that we uh, came up with for the week. And now we'll, we'll recap our, our individual teams, our favorite teams that we follow. Um, I will start the White Sox. Um, it was an okay week. That's kind of the word I can use to describe it. It was definitely better than last week, um, but it, it's not what they were doing before, um, before they went to Houston and, and were swept out of there. 
Um, they went two and three uh, over the past week, only played five games. Uh, it started with a two-game trip to Pittsburgh, and Pirates starter in game one, Tyler Anderson, dominated for the Pirates for six and two-thirds. Um, Sox couldn't make any hard contact. He kind of has this uh, little bit of a funky windup, and it really messes with the, the hitter's timing, and we just couldn't square anything up um, up until the seventh inning. and. Uh, Tony Larusa decided to play the matchup. He pulled Zach Collins out of the game and pinch it Yasmani Grandal, who took the first pitch he saw and put it over the center field fence uh, for a three-run homer, which gave the Sox a three-to-two lead that lasted for about, I don't know, 90 seconds or so. Um, Garrett Crochet came out of the bullpen for the bottom half of the seventh. He allowed four straight singles, including a bunt single, uh, which Yoan Moncada threw away um, over Jose Abreu's head at first base. Crochet proceeded to not get any outs, give up four earned runs, uh, and the White Sox would lose six to three. Lucas Giolito was solid again, six innings, four hits, two earned runs, and seven strikeouts. So another good pitching performance from the White Sox starting rotation. And game two um, was a nice bounce back start for Dylan Cease, five and two thirds. Seven hits, just one earned run and seven strikeouts after he got hammered uh, against the Astros last week. It was good to see him kind of come back to what we know uh, that he can do and how he can produce. Um, Leary Garcia and Tim Anderson opened the scoring. Tim Anderson RBI double and then Garcia solo home run. Yasmani Grandal added a two-run double in the fifth inning. That would prove to be the difference, and the White Sox would go on to win that game 4-3. to three. And after an off day on Thursday, they went back home to Chicago for a three-game series against the Seattle Mariners in a full-capacity guaranteed rate field for the first time since 2019. Um, unfortunately, they did not start the series well. It was an ugly loss. Um, Seattle just kept tacking on and tacking on and tacking on, inning after inning. There was no big innings, um, but they added a run or two almost every inning. Um, Carlos Rodon started this game. He was okay. He didn't have his best stuff. And uh, Yusei Kikuchi for the Mariners was too much for White Sox bats. Couldn't solve him. Um, and the Sox would lose nine to three. Uh, game two was a wild one. Um, bad weather rolled through the Chicago area. Um, there was a, a tornado warning pregame that included the area around Guaranteed Rate Field. Um, and it would start, however, it would be suspended after the top of the third inning because of rain. Um, and this is the game in which uh, Seattle pitcher Hector Santiago is ejected in the fifth inning for an illegal substance on his glove. And as we said before, he has been uh, suspended for 10 games, which he is appealing. Uh, Lance Lynn started. He was perfect through uh, three innings, I believe, maybe two innings. Um, Dallas Keuchel came on and kind of relieved Lynn, but he started in the, uh, I believe it was the top of the fourth inning uh, for the White Sox. He pitched five innings, two earned runs, gave up two solo homers. Um, and then Liam, Liam Hendricks came on in the uh, bottom of the ninth and or top of the ninth inning and gave up a two, uh, solo home run to Taylor Trammell, which would give the Mariners a three to two lead, which they would not relinquish in the bottom half of the ninth inning. It was Trammell's second homer of the day. 
and the White Sox would lose three to two. The offense still completely MIA, but in game three, which was a seven inning game played on the same day as uh, the suspended, the suspension of game two, um, the offense decided to show up. It was Zach Collins and Yerman Mercedes. They combined to drive in all seven White Sox runs. Um, Collins doubled twice, drove in four, uh, including a bases clearing double in the fourth inning. Yerman Mercedes uh, opened the scoring with a two run double in the first and a weird check swing infield single in the fourth inning. Um, and a lot of credit again goes to Ryan Burr. He opened the game for the White Sox. He was the, uh, the opener for them. He pitched two perfect innings. Um, and then one thing I have noticed is that Garrett Crochet just doesn't seem to have the kind of stuff that he had when he came into the league last season. Um, the, the White Sox were going to win this game seven to five. Um, and we'll get back to Crochet in just a second. Um, the White Sox scored 19 runs over five games during the week seven of which came in the second game on Sunday. Otherwise, they scored 12 runs over four games, three a game, not a good pace. The offense needs to find something because three game, three runs a game is not going to get the job done. Um, and back to Crochet for just a second. Over his last seven appearances, he has pitched to an 8.59 ERA over seven and a third innings, given up seven runs, six walks and a whip almost at two at 1.91. Um, I've heard his name thrown around in a few trade rumors over the last couple of days. Um, I still think he's going to be a very good pitcher. I don't know what's going on with him, but it would be very nice to see him kind of regain that form that he had last season and even earlier this season when he was very, very good. Um, the lead in the division for the White Sox is still two and a half games over the Indians. And up next, the White Sox will host the Twins for four games. They were supposed to play and start that series yesterday. It was rained out. So they will play the Twins for three games now. Um, and they helped the White Sox keep Cleveland at arm's length over the last couple of days as the Indians were in Minnesota. And after that, the White Sox travel to Detroit for a three-game weekend series that ends on the 4th of July holiday. So winnable games over the next week for the White Sox, three against the Twins, three against the Tigers, and a chance to re-extend their division lead. But in order to do that, the offense has to show up because three runs a game is not going to do it. Yeah, are you, um, you know, I know there's been some talk about, uh, you know, continued rumors about potential trades, whether it be, you know, Eduardo Escobar, that, that name just keeps coming up. Um, you know, are you, how concerned, like, what is your, I guess I asked this probably last week too, but I'm going to ask it again. Like, what is your concern level with the offense right now? Like, do you think that they're in a situation where the front office, like, if they don't add a bat or two in the next I guess it's, you know, three or four weeks now. I mean, they have time before the trade mm -hmm. deadline, but you, sure. are you like thinking like they, they need to add, like if the, if it comes to August 1st and they haven't added a batter, a big batter too, will you see that as a failure? Yeah, I definitely will. Because yeah, given, you know, the situation and the way that this team is built this year, it is built heavily on pitching as a result of injuries or not. You've got one of the best starting rotations in baseball. You've got, you know, a bullpen that you thought was kind of going to be better 
um, that has struggled, had its fair share of struggles, especially early on and lately, but in that middle portion uh, of the season so far, they were very, very good. So I, you have to, if you're the White Sox, you have to add support for that pitching staff by adding offensive contributors because, you know, you've got Jake Lamb playing every day. He just went to the IL, but you've got Jake Lamb playing almost every day. You've got Brian Goodwin playing every day. Um, you know, Adam Eaton is hurt now, but he hasn't been very good, especially against left-handed pitching. Jose Abreu is having his struggles and playing through a lot of soreness and a lot of injuries. Um, Yoan Moncada is playing through some soreness and he just dealt with uh, an illness last week, which he played through. So you have to give these guys some support because they're not going to, you know, they're not going to go out every day and score nine runs. That's just not going to happen. And just kind of given the way that this team, that this season has developed for them with all the injuries and everything, pitching is the strength. You have to support that with offense and whether that's going out and getting Eduardo Escobar Adam Frazier, either one of those guys is going to, is going to support, you know, add some, some depth to the, to the team and add some offensive production to the team. But, you know, it, it, it's the White Sox. And could I see a situation where they don't add? Unfortunately, yes. And that scares me because I think this is probably the best team that they're going to have as far as a well-rounded, um, entity but i i hope to god that they they add somebody um and i don't know what's going on with the eduardo escobar thing um he it's been reported that he has been coming and that he is not coming i know there's a bunch of other teams in on him um but it's it's something that needs to happen whether it's him or somebody else they need to add an impact bat as soon as possible, because if they keep going at this pace, they are going to lose the division lead. And I don't know if they're in a place where they can uh, come back uh, from, you know, uh, a a deficit in the division. One thing that I just saw this, the White Sox tweeted this four minutes ago, um, Luis Robert has been medically cleared to increase his level of baseball activities in Arizona at the White Sox complex. Um, and this phase of the rehab process will take about four weeks and he could be assigned uh, to rehab uh, a rehab assignment with a White Sox minor league affiliate after that point, which is awesome news uh, to hear. So, um, but, you know, four weeks plus however long his rehab assignment takes, um, they need a bat. That's all to say they need a bat. They need one as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it, because it seems like there might be reinforcements between Robert and Jimenez later in the season, but it's mm-hmm. one of those situations where, you know, there's the idea that, oh, you know, they can get by until those reinforcements come, you know, they've got a big lead in this, they've got a lead in the central, but like, I think the reality is, like you said, they, they'll get reinforcements, mm-hmm. probably maybe at some point, but you have to get to that point without falling off a cliff first. And so yeah. I think, yeah, I'm with you trying to bring in some offensive depth and production sooner, definitely sooner rather than later, definitely makes sense. Uh, no doubt about that. Yeah. So, and I know, uh, I know the, the Cardinals are 
they were kind of bouncing back last week and now it seems they are if not off the cliff very close to the edge <laughs> of the cliff yeah yeah i will uh i, I won't I, I will try not to go super long with this because i i you know don't want to i'm not going to relive every game on this one because it's too painful um yeah. you know they're coming off a 7-1 win last night but it was against the worst team in baseball in a game that involved some really, really questionable decisions uh, by Tori Lovello, uh, Diamondbacks manager. Um, but, you know, prior to that, the Cardinals this last week were outscored 35 to 15 by two teams that are a combined 63 and 93 on the season. Oh, God. So that's, that's just, that's, that's not good. Uh, it was a horrendous week for a team that quite simply just does not appear to be very good. Um, the Cardinals started the week getting swept in a two game series at Detroit. They got outscored in that series, 14 to four. And then they came home to host the last place Pittsburgh pirates at Bush and they <laughs> lost three of four they got outscored by the pirates 21 to 11 in the series they scored 11 runs in four games against the mm -hmm. pirates um you know on may 19th so just over 40 days ago yeah. uh, little more than five weeks ago the cardinals had just completed a two-game sweep of pittsburgh and that got them to a season high three and a half game lead in the nl central they were 25 and 18 at the time Things were looking pretty good. It, you know, everything seemed to be lining up with the, you know, it wasn't a big consensus, but certainly the Cardinals were probably the most picked team to win the NL Central, not by a wide margin, but given, yeah. you know, other teams had been so in, other teams had been so inactive in the offseason. The Cardinals brought in Arenado, and things were looking, you know, pretty good, pretty much as expected. Since yeah. that time, uh, since May nineteenth, they've gone thirteen and twenty four in a stretch that included series against the Diamondbacks, uh, the Diamondbacks, uh, Indians, Marlins, Tigers, and Pirates. That is a lot of bad teams that they played in that stretch, and yeah. they went 13 and 24 in that stretch. So it's not like a they beat bad teams, they can't beat good teams. It's they're getting <laughs> beat up by really bad teams right now. Uh, unless when, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I remember when, you know, we, we were kind of, talking a few weeks ago and you know you were talking about you know these are the next five series that the cardinals have yep. and they were you know yep. arizona miami detroit and pittsburgh right right we were both kind of like yeah a lot of winnable games there <laughs> and now they won 13 out of what uh 37 against them yeah yeah i think yeah. that's right yeah <laughs> It's, it's not good like you can't even beat up on those teams i you know and they haven't played really well against like even even at that point you know for uh, six, uh five or six weeks ago when they were mm -hmm. uh 25 and 18 it wasn't them necessarily destroy you know beating a lot of good teams it was them taking care of business against the bad teams and right. being slightly better than average against the good teams <laughs> so now they've lost the ability to even beat the bad teams uh there's not much uh it's it's a bit of a real a real pickle uh, that they're in. And now like less than a month and a half after that high point, they're now a season worst eight games out of first place in the wow. NL central through Monday. Um, you know, and you just look at this team, there's just not a lot of room, uh, reason for encouragement in really any 
area of the team. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an incredible stat. So first, like the rotation, it's now been more than a full calendar month since a starting pitcher not named Adam Wainwright has won a game for the Cardinals. <laughs> no wow. pitcher, no starting pitcher not named Adam Wainwright has been credited with a win for the team since May 26th. I don't, it, that, that wow. kind of says it all right there. I mean, yeah. that's just, that's just stunning. There are three starting pitchers right now who simply don't belong in the rotation mm -hmm. and there just aren't good replacement options. John Gant was just removed from the rotation after yeah. posting an eight ten ERA in his last five starts. Oh, God. <laughs> Carlos Martinez has, I, last I looked had the worst ERA of any qualified starter in major league baseball. He has a 13.73 ERA in his last five starts. Yeah. Um, Oviedo is a rookie for them, and he just doesn't appear to be quite ready. He's had some flashes of success, but he has a 5.09 ERA in June. Mm -hmm. So when you're only, you know, you only have uh, Kim and a 39-year-old Adam Wainwright as your only reliable starters, it's not a great situation. Yeah, um, no through Sunday, their bullpen had the third worst walk rate of any MLB bullpen in the past 50 years. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, they have the worst OPS of any major league baseball team in the month of June, which is now almost over yeah. for the season. They're 25th in runs scored 27th in team OPS. So the offensive players are still around. Like you can look at the pitching staff and say like, wow, it's just falling apart. The mm -hmm. offense that, you know, there's still Goldschmidt and Arenado and Molina and DeYoung and O'Neill and uh, Edmund in the lineup, but mm -hmm. they're 27th in OPS for the, for the oh, season. Man. So it's, uh, you know, not to be too bleak about it, but it's, it's a pretty flat and lifeless team at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, they finish, uh, they, they won, like I said, at Arizona last, uh, against Arizona last night, they play the Diamondbacks for the next two games. So you know, look, the Diamondbacks are the worst team in baseball. Yeah. Maybe they can luck their way in. Like they can, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not confident in them beating bad teams, but like maybe they can win two in a row and then they got four at Coors to end the week. So, you know, who knows? I, I'm not giving up on it, the season completely, but sure. I'm certainly not holding out a lot of like, there's not really any reason to hold out hope. There's just the idea that they could turn it around. It wouldn't shock me, but I just am past the point of, um, really expecting it on any level. So yeah, not great. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. And uh, <laughs> I didn't, they're not, yeah, it doesn't seem like they're a good baseball team at this point. There's no, there's yeah. no pitching. They have two legitimate starters now. Right, right. And one of them is 39-year-old Adam Wayne, right? And at some point he is just going to fall off because he, Guys, people aren't meant to play baseball and use their arm in the way that pitchers do at 39 years old. Yep. And it's, I mean, they're a very capable offensive team. They have the talent. They have right. the guys to do it. They're just not. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is kind of, it's weird. And I don't know if there's a reason for it or not, but if they're going to have the kind of pitching they do, they have to have the offense and it, they just don't have either, which is, is not a good formula for success. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, the reason for optimism would be that the bats are still there, you know, like they're largely healthy <laughs> offensively. 
Right. Um, and that could come around, but part of me is like, even in that scenario where all the bats come alive, you know, or, you know, Arenado's on a tear, Goldschmidt's on a tear, you know, Molina's sure. bat is warms back up, all these things like that could happen. But mm-hmm. I'm afraid sort of even in that scenario, I don't really see a situation where the pitching is all of a sudden does a 180 and is good. Like, you know, sure. like the offense could be great, but if the pitching is still mediocre at best, the ceiling is going to be pretty limited, but right. you know, there is still lots of season left and I, you know, there's certainly not, you know, I'm not ready to write them off. It's going to take another few bad week, a few weeks of really, really bad play before I'd be willing to like completely write them off. So hopefully sure. we don't get to that point in two weeks. Uh, yeah. I certainly hope yeah. not. Hopefully, you know, we're at least talking about a team that's in the mix closer to the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to ask you about that right now, as it stands, do you see the Cardinals being sellers at the deadline or do you see them kind of saying, you know, we're a couple pieces away from making a push mm-hmm. at this in a pretty weak division and they, you know, do you see them being buyers or sellers? Yeah, that's a tough one. And I mean, it really is going to depend on how these next, I don't think they're going to be buyers or sellers in the next, you know, two weeks, either, either mm-hmm. one. I think it's going to be one of those things where it does come down to how they're playing and what the record looks like, yeah. you know, entering the last, you know, week or two of July. Okay. Um, because as it stands right now, you know, if they're a couple games under 500, I would say they're not going to be sellers and they're not going to be buyers either, that they're just going to stand pat sure. and see what happens. If we look up um, come the last couple of weeks of July and they're, you know, three or four games ahead of above 500, I could see them being like moderate buyers, like buy a couple, like few pieces and see if they can go on a run. Yeah. Um, I think for them to be sellers, it would have to be really like, it would have to continue to be as bad as it's been the last two weeks for the next three weeks. You know, like if that happens, if they're really looking up and they're, you know, eight, nine, 10 games (laughs) under 500 come the, then yeah, at that point, sure sell off some guys see what you can get not a rebuild but just you know get a couple get some prospects but i think yeah. it's really going to depend on where they are my hunch right now is maybe they're like slight seller uh, slight buyers but mm-hmm. it not not for like huge impact guys but right yeah it's it's really one of those like you know come back to me in two weeks and how i feel yeah. then is going to be you know i'm going to be much more confident what they should do at that point all right well we'll see uh what the Cardinals do because they they again I'll say it they have you know six more winnable games on their plate this week and then right they'll move on and see if they can kind of continue if they have some success against two uh, pretty weak baseball teams in Arizona and Colorado but you know it's it's kind of their uh, this is kind of kind of it seems like it's gonna kind of determine the rest of their season whether they are gonna be buyers or sellers uh yeah. come july 31st so yeah. hopefully they can turn yes. it around and 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 uh be in a position to buy a little bit and make a push at, at, at an essential title yeah absolutely uh fingers crossed there so um <laughs> so this day in baseball our next segment what do you got for us this week jake yeah so we were supposed to record yesterday which was june 28th and we had some things change around so we are still going to do June 28th, and this one is a little bit different. We're going to do June 27th, or June 28th, 2007, and June 28th, 2009, because June 28th seems to be a big day for milestones. <laughs> um, first off, 
former uh, White Sox first baseman and Hall of Famer Frank Thomas hit his 500th home run in the first inning of the Blue Jays game against the Twins. Um, he also hit the first home run of his career against the Twins, not on this day, but his, the first home run of his career came against the Twins, as well as 10% of all of his career home runs again, were against Minnesota. Um, he would finish his career with 521 home runs and was the 21st major leaguer to reach the 500 home run mark. Uh, and on that same day, uh, Hall of Fame second baseman for the Houston Astros, Craig Biggio, surpassed the 3,000 hit plateau with the third of five hits in the Astros game against the Rockies. Um, he was the 27th player to reach the 3,000 hit mark and the ninth to do it who played his entire career for only one team. So two um, offensive, uh, big time offensive uh, milestones that were hit for Frank Thomas and Craig Biggio, two um, Hall of Famers, and then we'll go to 2009. On June 28, 2009, another Hall of Famer, Mariano Rivera, reached the 500 save mark in the Yankees' 4-2 win over the Mets. Uh, at that point, he joined Trevor Hoffman as the only players to reach 500 saves in Major League Baseball history. They're still the only two. Um, another fun fact about that day, he registered the first and only RBI of his career uh, his 19-year career, wow. after Mets reliever Francisco Rodriguez walked him with the bases loaded <laughs> in the top of the ninth inning, after Rivera came in in the eighth inning to get a four-out save. All he had to do was pitch to the Yankees' closer, who, have, who probably had, I think it was like 22 at-bats for his career, and he walked him. And Mariano <laughs> Rivera now has one RBI for his uh, amazing career. So add that as a little cherry on top to his, you know, 600 plus save uh, Hall of Fame career. That's wild. That is wild. I, I'm pulling up his baseball reference page here and it's even fewer than that. He's only had three at bats in the regular season in his entire career. Okay. And uh, it might be more postseason batting. He had uh, three. So like a total three of six at bats in his entire uh, MLB cool. career. Which is uh, which is wild, yeah. He just had to throw oh strikes, and that would have that would have done it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Craig, you mentioned Craig Biggio. That got me thinking of you know his son, uh, yeah. Kevin Biggio, is you know major leaguer, a big part of that Blue Jays team right now. So uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's kind of crazy though. The number of big uh, significant milestones all from that one day in MLB history. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I was I was looking at my options and I was kind of like that that's a little wild that you know five hundred homers, yeah. three thousand hits happen on the same exact day, and then two years later on that day, Mariano Rivera gets gets five hundred saves. So, you know, just a, a little quirk uh, about June June twenty eighth. So, um, if anybody asks you ask you what's the most uh, <laughs> amount of milestones hit on the same calendar day, there's your answer. <laughs> like, Hopefully, yeah. I don't know for. For, yeah, we'll uh, see down fact, the road. But... Maybe we'll have something else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So after after that, we will we'll talk about the Cardinals division, the <laughs> National League Central. And I'll let you have the floor for this one, Chris. You know all about you know the Cardinals, obviously, but I'm sure a ton about you know their rivals in the same division and what's kind of your expectation and your prediction for 
how the how the division kind of shapes out and uh, over the next you know couple of months and who's going to be those those teams at the top kind of fighting for that division title and those playoff spots. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, you know, most of the divisions we've done so far, and this is our second to last one to discuss here. Um, most of them I've had sort of a pretty clear opinion or like pretty, some degree of confidence in who I think is going to win the division, or at least, you know, the one or two team, the two teams that might come down to. And, you know, you look at the NL Central and it would just wouldn't shock me if it was one of any of any of the four teams that are, um, you know, right now the top four teams in the division. Of course, you can count the Pirates out. They continue their rebuilding or whatever the heck they're doing as one of the worst teams <laughs> in the game. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if you can keep calling it a rebuild five years from now, six years from now, when they're still doing this, I, I don't know. Eventually, mm -hmm. uh, eventually they're just a bad team for a long time, <laughs> but uh, you know, among the other four teams, Milwaukee, Chicago, Cincinnati, and St. Louis, and that's the order they're in right now in the central, it really wouldn't stun me for any of those four teams to, win the division. Um, you know, we kind of hit on the Cardinals. I'm, I had picked them to win the division. And I, I think I was trying to be pretty objective about that. Of course, it's hard to be completely object objective in that situation, but mm -hmm. I had picked them to win the central. I just thought the, you know, it was a division that was so quiet in the off season, you know, the fewest, the least amount of money handed out to free agents, the fewest number of big moves and trades, um, that was the NL Central and the only real big exception was the Nolan Arenado trade and so mm -hmm. I gave the Cardinals the edge for that clearly that's not working out I would honestly of the four team of those four teams I would be surprised the probably the most if it was St. Louis that ended up pulling it out at this point maybe maybe the Reds would surprise me a little bit more mm -hmm. um, but you know again, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be stunned if any of those four teams did it, but I'm not really that optimistic that even if the Cardinals do make things interesting, get things turned around, maybe they compete for a wild card spot. I'm still not very optimistic on them making such a turnaround that they're going to, you know, the, the Brewers are, have six, uh, eight more wins than them right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just not optimistic that even if the Cardinals do turn it around, they'll be able to make up that ground that they'll be that much better like sure. that the run that they would go on would be that good then again you know the rest of the central you just don't know what's going to happen um you know the reds the fact that they're only one game above 500 despite how good castellanos and winker have been makes yeah. me feel like you know I, I i don't if those guys and what they've done i, I don't really know how they're going to get better like the right. talent is there i i thought they were really going to be good last year and they were horrible um <laughs> yeah so I, I don't know the talent is still there i'm not convinced the cubs um you know the cubs have the offensive talent mm -hmm. it's absolutely there and it's been like this for a couple of years now where it's like well yeah the pieces are there but their right. rotation isn't as good as it was darvish is gone like it's okay i think that they're i guess if you looked at probably they probably are the favorite now maybe if you were to pull people but right. honestly, yeah. I think the Brewers are pretty legit. I just don't know if it's legit enough. It's it's really a hard decision. I'm kind of hedging here. But the thing that makes me lean toward the Brewers right now at this point is their pitching. Mm -hmm. um, because they have the top of the rotation that I think is better than most teams in baseball, let alone all the teams in the NL Central. Um, sure, yeah. They're top of that rotation with um, Brandon Woodruff and with uh, – I'm blanking on the, uh, oh goodness, uh, Brandon Woodruff and um, 
Corbin Burns. Uh, thank you, Burns. Yes, yeah. yes. Corbin Burns and Wendrew, Brandon Woodruff have both been outstanding. You got Burns with a two point five three ERA, and Brandon Woodruff has a sub two ERA, mm-hmm. and Freddie Peralta has a two point one seven ERA. Yeah, and like they've got that. <laughs> those three guys right there. That's that's incredible performance. So I kind of give them the edge based on that top of the rotation. Um, mm-hmm. I just, and I think the X factor for them is Christian Yelich, just how much of an impact maker he's going to be down the stretch. Yeah. So I've talked myself in circles here. I think at the end of the day, if I had to pick a team right now, I would still, I would say Milwaukee, which has a four game lead. I would probably yeah. rank Milwaukee as the team that I would, you know, predict if he had a gun to my head. Um, the Cubs wouldn't surprise me. The Cardinals and Reds, I just don't know if they can make up that kind of ground. Sure. Yeah, no, you? I mean, I mean, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, you kind of touched on the other four teams, so I won't go too much into them. But, you know, you look at the Brewers, and they're, we'll start with, they're, they're my pick to win that division at this point. Um, and it is because of their pitching. Like you talked about, they've got the ninth best staff ERA in, in baseball at 3.62. They have the second best batting average against at 215. The only team better is the Dodgers at 212. So they're not allowing guys to make hard contact and get on base all that much. Um, they have the ninth fewest walks or ninth most walks allowed. So that's kind of the, the, the one uh, place where you kind of look at and say, eh, maybe they're not, you know, super great, but their pitching has been very solid. Um, the, the, the place that kind of trips me up for them is the offense. Their leading batter, uh, as far as qualified players go, is Avisal Garcia, and he is hitting 243. Uh, and he is also the only player on the Brewers with more than uh, nine home runs. He's got 15 on the year, 46 RBIs. As far as the other offense goes, uh, they have a whole bunch of guys with, you know, they have three with seven homers, three with six homers, a couple of five, a couple of four, but there's no one guy that's kind of, I mean, there's Garcia, but there's no, seems like there's not a lot of offensive support beyond him. Uh, Christian Yelich hasn't, hasn't been uh, the player that we know he can be. Um, he's getting on base a lot at, uh, over a 40% mark, um, but he's missed some time this season. And I kind of agree with you. It's going to come down to, you know, can he step up? Can guys like, you know, Colton Wong, Willie Adamas, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., can he find his, his offensive stroke that he's kind of developed over the last couple of years? And, you know, all he has to do is hit, I don't know, 240, 250, and he'll be, you know, a serviceable option for them. So, if they can, you know, continue pitching the way that they, they have been all season and if their offense can find just a little bit of life to kind of give that, that pitching staff a little bit of a push, I think they're going to be just fine. The other teams, you know, the Cubs pitching, not great. The Reds, everything other than Castellanos and Winker, not great. The Cardinals, we've talked to them, uh, talked about them at length, uh, you know, not very good at all this season and the pirates, you know, they're not, they're not great. Um, so I think the brewers are kind of the one team that, you know, has the potential to put it all together um, the most at least. And I think they're, they're definitely going to be my pick for 
the NL Central champions at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. We'll just see if they can scrape together enough offense. Um, you know, you know, the one thing I, I will add, you know, because I think that they're the team I would pick second is the Cubs. If they were to go out and say, we're going to add a big name starter at the deadline. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, that would impact things for me on them now, sure. of course, <laughs> you know, they had a big name starter. They traded him right. away this winter. So <laughs> I don't know if they're going to, you know, like, I, I don't think the Padres are going to take any calls for sending him back. <laughs> no, for a Darvish back. So I don't know. Maybe I, I, part of me is like, I don't think they're going to really add a big name starter because if they're willing to add a big name starter, they would have kept their big name starter. Um, mm-hmm. But that that's one thing that I feel like, you know, could change things because if they're able to make their rotation good enough, we know that offense can be good, but I'm with you as it is right now, just in terms of, you know, it just seems the safest to pick the Brewers kind of because the pitching, we just, you know, it's not going to be horrible. Like the rotation just (laughs) has those anchors at the top where you're like, okay, I feel pretty comfortable. The pitching will be good. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can cobble together enough offense. If some guys get moving and Yelich, you know, gets it going that kind of thing so yeah i'm with you right there i think we're we're uh we're thinking on the same lines there Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. and uh next week we'll we'll round up our uh our divisions with the uh with the national league west a very competitive division and the first team or the first uh yeah the first team to reach 50 wins was not the los angeles dodgers not the san diego padres but the San Francisco Giants. So look at that. Just a little preview there, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that next time on the show. Um, but now our our kind of final segment. MLB released the the finalists for the All Star Game uh, as far as starters go, and we are going to give you our picks uh, as to who should be the starter at each position three finalists at each position nine outfielders and we're going to run down and tell you our picks for uh, each position in each league we will start with designated hitter and i think this is pretty much unanimous across the board uh, for most if not all baseball people Uh, and it was with chris and i shohei otani We've talked about him so much. There's not much more we can say, but I think he is the no-brainer choice for a designated hitter. Yeah, absolutely. Tied for the MLB lead now in home runs. Third OPS, third highest OPS in baseball behind only Vlad and, and Tatis. A no-brainer, like you said. The fact that he's doing this as also one of the better pitchers in the game is just we've talked about it <laughs> we've talked about it it's, it's it's amazing but just don't take it for granted because we're watching something special yes absolutely so pretty easy pick there um we'll move on to catcher now in the american league um i thought it was pretty interesting uh the results when salvador perez martin maldonado <laughs> and Yasmani Grandal. My pick is Yasmani Grandal. Um, he is uh, getting on base at an insane rate. Um, and he was doing that for most of the first part of the season, um, a 389 on base percentage. And in the month of June, he started driving the ball a lot more. He's got 12 home runs on the year, uh, 31 RBIs, and an OPS of 804 with an OPS plus at 126. Batting average, uh, definitely not gonna you know help his case uh, it's just 177 but you know 
OPS plus, it's pretty, you know, a, a pretty good tell-all number for the, the offensive production that he provides. And it's well above league average. Uh, and his OPS is over 800. So I think he can make a pretty good uh, case for himself. Um, as far as Maldonado goes, I don't know what the hell he's doing in second place. Um, I looked at his numbers, not having a good season really at all. Um, I don't know if they're trying to give, you know, credit to his defense or anything, but, you know, he's batting 173, five homers. OPS plus is at 53. Um, so I, I won't spend too much time on that, but second place for all-star, I don't know if it's Astros fan stuff in the ballot box or whatever. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so the Grandal pick for me, a little bit of a homer pick. I could definitely see Salvador Perez getting that spot and deservedly so. He's having a, a very, very good season for the Royals. Um, so Chris, I know you, uh, I know you have uh, a couple of picks as well. Um, for your catchers, uh, what what, yeah. what did you decide to do in the American League? Yeah, for the American League, I went with Salvador Perez. Um, yeah. You know, uh, as far as Maldonado, yeah, there's just always those 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 teams and those fan bases and those players that have guys on there who you just you're like you shrug your shoulders like how is this happening? Because right. um, <laughs> that's that's just one of those things like nobody actually nobody really I think that that that's sort of a crazy concept you know with him it's been a rough season obviously um you know I went with Salvador Perez in the end because uh he is um leading American League catchers with 18 home runs he's also hitting for average at the same time he's hitting 203 um so you know I think he has the the highest OPS of any qualified AL catcher uh, so around the, across the board, he looked like the most well-rounded option to me. Uh, it is amusing uh, because, you know, Yasmani Grandal is hitting almost 100 points in batting average lower than Perez, but he has an OBP over 80 points higher yeah. than Perez. It's just one of those really weird statistical seasons. I think a lot of fans would look at Grandal's stats and be like, what, what, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? He's hitting 177, mm -hmm. but right. clearly he's been a much more impactful offensive player than that uh, yeah. based on every other, you know, it's 2021, we can look past batting average and uh, <laughs> Grandall is having a good year. But in the end, I just sort of thought the well-roundedness of Perez's game this season and the fact that he's having a, doing this at like age 31 or something mm -hmm. uh, after some significant injuries in recent years. Uh, so I'd give it to Perez. I think um, Grandall would, would not be a bad choice um, either. Uh, and then we both have Buster Posey um, I'll just, I'll kind of spoiler alert there. <laughs> we both have Buster Posey in the NL, <laughs> yeah, sure. um, which was a pretty easy choice. I think at least for me, he leads all NL catchers in OPS. Uh, he's had 12 home runs in 53 games. He's hitting over 320. Um, you know, Wilson Contreras has been fine. Yachty has been pretty good, but Posey's really had this incredible resurgence season. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely, uh, in agree agreement with you there. Um, yeah, it's going to kind of be a throwback to, uh, you know, the, the mid-2010s when, you know, Buster Posey and Salvador Perez were, <laughs> were starting almost every All-Star yeah. game for their respective leagues. So I think it's kind of, be, kind of going to be, uh, you know, one last hurrah for them. And if they can continue their, their stretch as they get in, you know, deeper into their, their 30s, that would be incredible. But, you know, that would, it's going to be uh, – kind of a fun, a fun thing to see if they both end up being the starters for their league. Um, we'll move on to first base. Uh, we're in agreement. 
in uh, the American League, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, there's not much more you can say about him. He's having an incredible breakout uh, type of season, an MVP caliber season. Uh, I mean, leading baseball in home runs, RBIs, on-base percentage, OPS is over 1,100. His OPS plus is over 200. And he also leads uh, all of baseball in total bases with 188. I mean, there's, there's nothing else you can say about him at this point. The only guy I feel like that can really give him a run for his money for American League MVP is Shohei Otani. And if you force me to pick right now, I really don't know who I would say. 26 home runs, 66 RBIs. I mean, that OPS and OPS plus, the numbers that they are, is just absolutely bonkers. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, there really isn't much else to say. Like Anybody who doesn't have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as their pick at first base in the American League is crazy. I'll just say mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. I will just throw in here, you know, I think Matt Olson was snubbed uh, from being in the top three. Now, mm-hmm. not not snubbed, snubbed to be the pick. Like, you know, it should, it's going to be Vlad. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, but Matt Olson, second in the American League among first basemen in home runs, RBI, OPS, extra base hits, war, like he's been the second best first baseman in the American League and he's not in the top three. So I think he got snubbed, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because he shouldn't be the starter. It's going to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, 100%. And in the National League, we we disagreed a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I went with Freddie Freeman, the defending National League MVP in 2020. I was really kind of going back and forth between him and Max Muncy. I do think it's going to be Freeman because as a first baseman, you kind of have to, you know, provide those, those power numbers. And right now Freeman has just slightly better power numbers, a couple more home runs, a couple more RBIs. So I think it's him. I wouldn't be completely upset or surprised if it ended up being Max Muncy. He definitely has some time to kind of make that final push, but right now I would go with Freddie Freeman. Yeah, and, and I think that's not a bad call. It wouldn't surprise me if he was the starter. The name recognition is obviously there for Freeman, and mm-hmm. the numbers are the, – the, the counting stats are definitely there, 17 home runs, 43 RBI, um, you know. And I think at the end of the year, his numbers – the rest of his numbers are going to look pretty pretty much as they normally do. But at this point, you know, I went with Muncie because, uh, you know, Freeman's – you know, some of his numbers just don't look as good as they usually do. And I think they'll get there eventually, but he's hitting 254. Uh, His OPS is the lowest it's been since 2012. Um, You know, so it's not been a typical Freddie Freeman year. Now it's not been a bad Freddie Freeman year. And so, you know, when you got a guy who's a perennial all-star reigning MVP, who's, you know, they don't have to be great to be an all-star the next year. Like, you know, he's been fine. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see him as the starter. I went with Muncie. Um, he's got the best OPS of any NL first baseman by over 100 points. Um, you know, and his power yeah. numbers, they're not quite Freeman level, but they're close enough to me that I, you know, gave him the nod. But yeah, I could see it going either way. And it, it certainly wouldn't shock me. Uh, Anthony Rizzo was the other, content, other top three vote getter and he's been fine, but definitely not great. I don't think there's really any thought that it should be him. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um... I think it's going to come down to Muncie and Freeman and either one of them is going to make a, uh, a deserving winner of that, of that position as the starting first baseman for the national league. 
but we'll go to second base now in the American League. Um, definitely a close, very close uh, battle oh, yeah. for me between Marcus Simeon and Jose Altuve. Right now, I will go with Marcus Simeon just because, you know, he is, it's a little bit of the recency bias because of the month of May that he had. Um, but he, I mean, their, their numbers are so close to each other that, you know, it, it really is hard to pick, you know, 18 home runs for, for Simeon, 17 for Altuve. Altuve's batting 288, Simeon 281. OP, uh, OBP is a little higher for, for Altuve. The, the OPS numbers are very close. I mean, both are very, very good second basemen this season, probably top three uh, in baseball. And, you know, I went with Marcus Simeon. Um, but Chris, I know, I know you decided to go with Jose Altuve. Um, and I can, I can see that happening. He definitely has uh, a chance to step up over the next two weeks and make a push for that, for that starting spot. Yeah. It really wouldn't surprise me either way. And it's one of those things where Simeon had the great May Altuve's had the great June. So, you know, it's like, you know, which way is it going to break? I it's, it's a close call, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, I think, Simeon was performing a little bit over his head earlier on. And I think that he's going to sort of end up, you know, trailing off a little bit here. Like it's still a very good player, but trailing off mm-hmm. a little bit. Meanwhile, Altuve, like we've seen him perform at this level before. Uh, yeah. He was just, just really bad last year, but we've seen it him perform like this before. And I think, you know, he's got the, you know, like you said, the numbers are just so close. Like I could nitpick and say that Altuve's OPS is slightly higher or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's so close. I think Altuve, um, I think that the numbers that I think his numbers are more real, like his success. I think at the end of the year, Altuve will be, have the better numbers. Um, so I, you know, I'm going with Altuve and I think the name recognition as well, but it, Marcus Simeon, it would certainly not surprise me nor upset me in the slightest to see him there as the AL starter. And, uh, in the, a, a, the NL, I should say, um, we both ended up with the same player. It wasn't a super easy call. Um, yeah, I think Jake Cronenworth actually got snubbed because he's been really, really good for the Padres, like sneakily yeah. good. But mm-hmm. um, I think the decision that both of us were making was between, of course, Albies and Frazier because Gavin Lux is not deserving at all. No offense yeah. to Gavin. Uh, he hasn't <laughs> been very good. Um, and uh, so it was between Ozzy Albies and Adam Frazier. And Albies, of course, like he seems like the bigger star and he'll probably, you know, maybe have the better career and everything. Um, he's got good counting stats, but he's hitting 253. Meanwhile, you have Frazier out there hitting like 330 and among the hits leaders in all of baseball and having the highest OPS of any NL second baseman, despite the fact that he has no power, uh, right. just shows you how good of a hitter he is. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, we both you know, ended up going with Frazier in the end there for the, uh, yeah. For the NL. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the problem here is that we know how good Ozzy Albies can be. Right, 2018 and 2019 seasons showed that um, hit for power, hit 24 homers in both seasons, um, and in 2019 hit close to 300 uh, with an OPS over 850. Um, this year, those numbers have come down quite significantly. OPS still over 800, still pretty good power numbers, 12 homers, 46 RBIs. But like you said, Adam Frazier leading uh, the league in, in hits, I believe, at this point, or not quite, but near the top of the league. And uh, yeah, almost no power, but still 
a great OPS number. His OPS plus is 142. So I think Adam Frazier is definitely the, the more deserving candidate uh, this season, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well said. I'm right there with you. And, uh, you know, uh, moving on to shortstop, you know, we had uh, we had disagreement on the AL side and the a very easy agreement on the NL side. Um, <laughs> I think I can I think I can say that. Um, you know, shortstop was a tough was was actually there are three candidates in the AL at shortstop who yeah. I think either either of these three players like are deserving. Like all three of them are deserving. Uh, none of them would surprise me. Um, it's Xander Bogarts who has the lead right now. Yeah. Uh, followed by Bobachet, followed by Carlos Correa. And I went with Correa. I was really, really wrestling with Correa Bogarts. I think Bichette, uh, the counting stats are amazing because he's in that Blue Jays lineup. I think just as a right. hitter, he's not quite on the same level, but I mean, it's, it's nitpicking. Um, yeah. But between Bogarts and Correa, it was really tough. They're both great hitters. Of course, Bogarts, we've seen him do this for a few years now. Correa has been a guy who like, we know the talent, but he was bad last year or mm-hmm. he's been inconsistent. He's been hurt. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, I think I went with Correa because, you know, we, I looked at the numbers and they were so close and I was trying to decide uh, and I saw Correa leads AL, AL shortstops and home runs. Um, he's hitting 303. Um, he's got a higher on base percentage than Bogarts. And then I looked and I was trying to find something else because that didn't seem like a ton to differentiate him. Mm-hmm. I saw that the on baseball reference, Correa's war this season is 4.1 and Bogarts is 2.6. And I was like, what, that, that, that seems a little bit drastic to me. I think in the end, I'm going with Correa because of that, which I think is fueled by defense. Bogarts mm-hmm. has not a great defensive shortstop. Correa is not a gold glover. I mean, he, I mean, he's good. I mean, he could win a gold glove. He's not like right. a, he's not Andrew Alden Simmons, but he's, right. I think defensively, I, I gave, I use that and sort of like the leading and home runs as the deciding factors for me. But I mean, it was, it was really nitpicking. I know you, yeah. you know, you went with Bogarts, but I, I could see that too. It, it's such a tough call. Yeah. This is one of the, one of the positions that was super close and really, really hard to make a decision on. I think that, you know, both Bogarts and Correa, I mean, Correa has been on fire over the last month and he's had a great season, you know, he's batting 355 with nine homers over his last 30 games. Uh, with more walks than strikeouts uh, and the slugging percentage close to 700. And then you look at Bogarts and while that's not, you know, he doesn't have quite those astronomical numbers. He's batting 303 over his last 30 games, 357 over his last 15, 440 over his last seven. You you really can't, offensively, it's so close. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, defense is, is, where you know they Korea kind of pulls away a little bit mm-hmm. um you know i i just you know you had to pick one and for me right. it's i think a tough call yeah bogarts is just a little bit better but again it's it's going to come down to those two guys and uh i again i wouldn't be mad if either of them started and i think both of them are for sure deserving um yeah and then nationally we've talked about them a ton uh, best short, one of the best shortstops, if not the best shortstop in uh, all of baseball, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, 25 homers, batting close to 300. 
uh, an OPS over a thousand and an OPS plus at 200. There's not much more you can say. He's leading um, the National League in homers, RBIs, stolen bases, uh, slugging percentage, and OPS. So no-brainer decision right there. Um, and he's he's going to be probably the starting shortstop for the National League for for uh, a number of years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I, I This is really one of those times I really have nothing to add because you said it. Everybody knows it. Fernando Tatis is one of the best players in baseball. Mm-hmm. Bias has had a fine year. Brandon Crawford, tip of the cap to what he's done this year as the oldest starting shortstop in baseball. But and yeah. hopefully he does make the all-star team, but not as the starter. <laughs> It'll be Tatis yeah. Jr. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. Third base, um, we agreed on on both uh, yeah. both names. So American League, Rafael Devers. Um, we talked about him last week, and he is having a very nice season. Um, I think he's the clear front runner uh, among the three um, the three finalists. Alex Bregman and Yon Mankata being the other two. I do think, um, obviously, being a White Sox fan, you know. I'm going to talk about Yon Mankata a little bit. You know, his power numbers are down, um, but his, he's getting on base a lot. He's hitting, you know, he's hitting the gaps. He's a lot of doubles. Um, so um, having a nice season, I think he, he deserves a spot on the team, but I think that Rafael Devers uh, should absolutely be the starting third baseman for the American League this season. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um leading all MLB third baseman in OPS by a wide margin. He's been the best third baseman in baseball this year. Um, mm-hmm. 19 homers, over 60 RBIs. This is all coming after a, a down 2020. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Moncada's has definitely been better than some of the baseline numbers would suggest. Um, yeah. And Alex Bregman has also been a, a good, he's hurt now and he's going to be out for well past the all-star game. Um, but yeah, this is a real easy call, uh, with Devers. I will say this is another one where Jose Ramirez shouldn't be the starter, but I think he did get snubbed because he's Mm -hmm. second in the AL and OPS at third base. Um, another one of those situations where I feel like he should be in second place, a a distant second, but that he should be the clear second. Um, in the end, it won't matter much because it'll be Devers, uh, absolutely. And, uh, as for the National League, like you said, we we both agree on this one, but I, I also, when you have this here in the notes, so, I'll just, so I'm going to say, it, you know, here, I completely agree with your thinking about Bryant that like, he is, he got off to this incredible start to the season yeah. uh, after really struggling last year, but he had some injuries, all sorts of things like that. This is a, a contract year for him. He's about to be a free agent. And he just got off to this incredible start to the season, just phenomenal. And now he's really struggling and I think it'll balance out he'll be fine Um, but in terms of where his numbers look I mean a few weeks ago this would have just been absolutely no question at all who the NL starting Mm -hmm. third baseman is now it's a question now he's like like you right here playing himself out of the starting spot Mm -hmm. and part of the reason why I think you know we both kind of went with him still because you know we know that he's not going to continue to bat 083 over the course of a couple of weeks. I mean, it's just not going to continue. <laughs> yeah. And there really isn't a super clear second guy. I mean, Nolan Arenado has been good, not great. Mm-hmm. Justin Turner has been pre- been good, but he's not been great. And he's been trailing off at the plate a little bit too. So mm-hmm. there wasn't like a clear cut second guy where you're like, okay, Brian has fallen behind them. So I still went with yeah. Brian and as, as did you, but 
uh, it's not a situation where if he gets that, you know, if he continues to struggle and he does, I, I, even if he continues to struggle, I think he'll get the assignment as the starting third baseman, but it'll be kind of weird if he comes in as the NL starting third baseman, having, you know, hit, you know, 115 over the last month, like that, that'll be a little weird. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, and when I sat down to do this, I was like, you know, I saw the finalists and I was like, Chris Bryant, it's gotta be Chris Bryant. He's having an MVP, you know, kind of a repeat of his MVP season a couple of, you know, handful of years ago. Um, and then I looked at the numbers and he's batting 261 or somewhere in the two sixties. And I'm like, what happened? And then I looked at <laughs> yeah. his, you know, past, you know, two weeks, past month. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's striking out about once per game, twice as much as he's walking at this point. It's, it's not great, but like you said, we both know the level he can play at and neither Arenado or Turner is making a great case to overtake him. So mm -hmm. at this point, I think Brian is still the safe choice. Um, but I think he, if, if either Arenado or Turner turns it on and Brian doesn't, uh, come back, you know, return to form a little bit over the next two weeks, I think he could be in danger of losing that starting spot. But yeah, definitely uh, an interesting case in the National League for third base. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that might change in the next week. Plus, um, part of me feels like the voting, because this is, of course, fan voting, Mm -hmm. it probably doesn't matter. Like I think, it, right. you know, in terms of who I might pick, that might change over the next few weeks, depending on how Bryant does. But sure. I think just the way that fans are, I don't think it's actually going to change. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, what I found really interesting is this next, this final discussion here is the outfield for both the AL and the NL. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went to start looking up the players and I'm thinking this is going to be hard. Like I'm thinking yeah. this is going to be difficult. There are so many talented <laughs> outfielders. There are these young guys and I'm thinking, oh, there's Betts and there's Soto and there's Harper and the National yeah. League is just so stacked full of talented outfielders and the American League has, you know, Trout and Buxton. But then you think, well, Trout and Buxton, they're both hurt. You know, yeah. Harper has not been on the field a ton. Soto has been a bit disappointing. Betts hasn't yeah. been himself. And all of a sudden I start looking at it and I'm like, <laughs> you know, and all this spoiler alert, we both have the exact same starting three outfielders for both the American and national league. Yep. It became, as I looked at the numbers, like incredibly clear. And I had absolutely no difficulty in the end. Yeah. Um, I mean, not pretty much no difficulty. I and mean, there were other guys who, you know, deserve consideration, but mm -hmm. in the end, I think it's pretty clear that the, you know, who should be representing both, uh, both the AL and the NL in the outfield. Yeah. So, um, to recap, I mean, we both went with Aaron judge, Michael Brantley and Cedric Mullins in the American league judge and Brantley, obviously established veterans at this point. Um, judge the big power can hit for a little bit of an average too. Um, Michael Brantley kind of just an all around offensive player gap to gap power. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark hits for an average close to 300, if not over. And then Cedric Mullins kind of becoming the, the uh, face of the Baltimore Orioles franchise over this last, over the season so far, kind of putting himself into the conversation. Currently he sits seventh, in, uh, in voting for the American League outfield behind guys, obviously Trout and Buxton, uh, behind Adolis Garcia and Teoscar Hernandez as well. I don't think either of those guys have had quite the seasons that Mullins has had. 
Um, he's got the power numbers. He's setting for average. He's stealing bases. Um, it's just a very strong all-around game offensively that Cedric Mullins is providing for the Orioles. And I don't think any of those other guys are doing quite what he is doing. So that's why, at least for me, at least that's why he uh, got that third starting spot in the American League. Yeah, absolutely. He deserves to get more recognition. He shouldn't be in seventh. Like that's come on, fans. Like get him his <laughs> get you know, get him what he deserves because he leads yeah. all qualified AL outfielders in OPS. Yeah. He is like at 920. Uh, this is a guy, and I get that it's one of those things where if you haven't been paying attention to baseball in 2021, like he's yeah. a guy who like maybe you've never heard of him. Maybe you've heard mm-hmm. of him, but he's just like an outfielder who steals some bases and maybe can hit for average. And you're like, yeah. oh, is he really that great of a hitter? Well, he, he kind of is now. He's hitting 315, 13 mm-hmm. homers, 14 steals, the fourth most hits in Major League Baseball yeah. um, this season. And he leads the AL, he basically leads AL outfielders in like almost every major statistical category from hits to OPS to total bases to stolen bases to mm-hmm. war. I mean, it's just, He's having this just phenomenal season. So if you're not seeing it, wake up and, and look at his baseball reference page because uh, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. And, and yeah, like you said, Judge and Brantley, well-established. Brantley leads uh, was yeah leads the AL in batting average and Judge, um, I would almost say somewhat quietly, continuing to like put up the power numbers you expect. 17 homers, but not a guy who's like necessarily in the headlines every week for going on these incredible homer runs. He's just somewhat quietly doing what everybody expects him to do and so uh yeah i'm with you there in the al for sure yeah and uh nl three guys that we've talked about extensively on the show um ronald acuna jr nicholas castellanos and jesse winker um three guys with a lot of power three guys with that hit you know their batting averages are 300 or better i mean they're the top three in voting, something that the fans have gotten right. I mean, there's not much justification. I don't think we have to give for, for these guys. Um, but if that, if this was, you know, the starting outfield for, for the national league, I think everybody in baseball would be happy because I think they're the three best outfielders in the national league right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. hundred percent incredible all around year for Acuna He's been the second best offensive player in the National League behind only Tatis. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess you could, and if there's any argument for that, it would be because of these next two guys. I mean, because of Castellanos, like best average in Major League Baseball, Nick Castellanos Mm -hmm. and good power numbers. Jesse Winker, the breakout, we've talked about him before. He's fourth in the NL and OPS behind only Tatis, Acuna, and Castellanos. (laughs) Like the like the top four uh, OPSs in the National League are Tatis and these three outfielders. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty clear one. And like I mentioned before, there are other guys in the in the top uh, among the top vote getters like Mookie Betts and Juan Soto and Bryce Harper who are well established. Well, at least uh, you know Soto is pretty new to the game, but already you know pretty well established himself. And and Betts and Harper, of course, are. And so, you know, having them at the all-star game would certainly not be a bad thing by any means, but neither of the three of those guys are having, uh, none of those guys are having great years. Uh, There's no reason really, I think, for any real consideration for anybody other than those three. This was so easy uh, on the National League side as well. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. And uh, that is going to wrap it up here. Um, 
that is all the time we have for this week. Um, the next couple of weeks are going to be kind of uh, up in the air. Um, got some some uh, travel plans for, for both Chris and I. Um, so we will definitely, uh, we'll be back at some point uh, before the next two weeks are up and before we kind of head into that all-star break time as of as for when it's going to be we don't really know um but we will we will definitely be back hopefully within the next 10 days or so and hopefully at that point the white Sox and the cardinals have both turned it around we will have a full home run derby lineup and hopefully not another uh uh foreign substance issue because uh that is uh seems to be dominating the headlines right now um Chris, I see there's there's a couple of interesting series. One that I'm looking at uh, is the Cubs and Brewers, as we just talked about the National League Central. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, has a lot of bearing on what's going to happen in that division. The Giants and Dodgers finished their two-game uh, little series tonight, and that's going to be uh, an entertaining game as well. Um, as we head toward the end of the week, I... Um, Mets and, and, Mets and Yankees over the weekend. Oh, Mets and Braves and then Mets and Yankees and then over Mets. the weekend as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's going to be uh, definitely an entertaining series. And then I think uh, maybe an underrated one, people that might not be paying attention a whole lot, uh, the Red Sox and the Athletics. I think that's going to be yeah. another uh, another good series and a series to watch. Uh, two teams that don't play each other all too often. But uh, yeah, as we head into the july 4th holiday weekend we will say so long chris do you have any final thoughts that you want to add before we uh uh sign off here well we will uh seeing now we will have the starters for the all-star game revealed in just uh two days thursday Beautiful. july 1st 9 p.m mlb network uh, 9 p.m eastern so uh by the time we talk again we will have for sure uh the starters known for the all-star game Awesome. Well, definitely we will look forward to that. And everybody listening, thank you so much. We had a little bit of a long one today, but, you know, a lot to cover, a lot to get through. Um, and it will probably be the same the next time we talk because it, it will not be uh, our normal uh, week apart schedule. But the next time we do talk, uh, we hope that you will tune in once again and, uh, we will uh, sign off here. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time on the Warning Track Power podcast.